You know, carriers, I think now are going to have to start taking into account climate change. Maybe you would typically think you fall under flood insurance, but maybe there's going to be another product out there for people who are prone to that type of damage. Welcome to the Insurance Innovators Unscripted, the show dedicated to innovation in the insurance industry. Each episode, you'll get a dose of thought leadership from the industry's top business minds, influencers, innovators, and executive leaders. If you want to transform your corner of the industry and exchange innovative ideas, you need to subscribe to this podcast. Now here's your host, Abel Travis. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Insurance Innovators Unscripted Podcast, where we dedicate our discussion to insurance innovation. So hopefully you've been enjoying the episodes of this podcast. I know um, you've been getting a lot of new content, as well as uh, getting some replays and some reboots of some of the older content that we've had. And it's just to make sure that you all can get reacquainted with what's been playing out over time within this industry. Now, I know I mentioned a couple times we're about 10 episodes away from the 100th episode. Um, and, you know, I would love to do something uh, that you all are going to remember uh, on this podcast. So if you have any ideas, don't hesitate to shoot them over to me. Or if you have um, folks that you want to uh, hear from, you know, send me a message and I'll try to get them on for the 100th episode. Um, I am hopeful that you're going to enjoy today's guest, and that's Gina Lozier. Now, she's a partner at Berger Singerman. Now, Gina also leads the firm's insurance practice and sits on the board of the Windstorm Insurance Network, or WIND. So, you know, Gina, it's a pleasure to have you here in the podcast. Welcome. Well, thank you very much for having me. Hey, so, Gina, I, you know, while you run the insurance practice for Berger Singerman, um, I, I want to get into a little bit of your history before doing what you're doing today. So, you know, if you don't mind, um, I'd love if you would tell us a little bit about your backstory um, and how you landed in the insurance space. No, absolutely. And it's funny when you say landed because I kind of fell into it. Um, I moved down actually from Ohio. I moved down to Florida a few weeks before Hurricane Wilma hit in October of 2005. And at the time, I was in the process of taking the Florida bar and looking for a job. And I found a job at an insurance defense firm. And I remember my interview there and the um, my ultimate, my boss, he had asked me if I knew the difference between first party and third party insurance work. And of course, at that time, I didn't. Um, but I ended up getting the job. I started as a law clerk and then an associate and then a managing associate and then a partner there. So I did insurance defense work for about eight and a half years for a statewide defense firm. So I really learned the industry inside and out during that experience. I spent a lot of time working on insurance fraud investigations, a lot of time um, giving examinations under oath of insureds and really getting into the industry, which I love. And I, then I had the opportunity to work here at Berger Singerman and come over and start an insurance practice with um, my partner, Michael Heiger, who actually was the incoming Florida Bar president. Now he's one of the past Florida Bar presidents, but it was an amazing opportunity to come to a firm like this and be able to grow an insurance practice now on behalf of the policyholders. So I've been on both sides of the fence. I've been on the policyholder side for about four and a half years now. And as, as you mentioned, I'm a partner here and, you know, I really, really enjoy what I do. And I, I love 
insurance. I love reading policies. It kind of makes me a little bit of an insurance nerd, but I'm okay with that. And uh, at the end of the day, you're helping people out. You're helping someone whose home is in disrepair. You're helping someone get through a part of their life that they would rather just move on and forget. So it's rewarding in that aspect as well. Absolutely. You know, I, I personally, I, I love the industry, especially the element, of, as you mentioned, in terms of helping people out. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's something that the industry does really well. Um, and um, hopefully as we start to, uh, you know, continue to move forward um, over time, as things start to transform, that that's not something that's loss, especially that deep connection with uh, policyholders and those that we're trying to make whole. So now just just thinking about what you're doing at Burger Singerman today in terms of the insurance practice, you know, what specifically is it? Um, and then what's your role today in terms of um, your responsibilities there? So what we do is represent policyholders, um, people who own properties, whether it's a residential home or a developer or someone who owns a business, a pharmacy, a farm. I've had a lot of different types of clients come through and what we do is help them walk walk them through the claim process. If you've never had an insurance claim and you're hit with a, a hurricane such as Hurricane Irma or Hurricane Michael, it can be a really scary process. And you know, you expect that when you go to your insurance company, they're going to issue payment, take care of you and walk you through that process. And sometimes it doesn't happen that way. And sometimes there's a lot of things within an insurance policy that completely take people by surprise. So what my job is, is to read the policy, understand the terms, understand the coverages and the exclusions and the conditions and help my client through that process. Hopefully, and sometimes I'm able to get that resolved for them in a settlement or a mediation or some type of alternative dispute resolution. Sometimes we have to go to litigation. Um, Sometimes we have to go to trial. We tried a case a few years ago where um, a home was damaged from a construction project right outside the property. There was a, a vibratory roller which kind of flattens the ground and vibrates at the same time. And the peak particle velocities and all the scientific stuff we had to learn for trial, it damaged the home. And we got to see that through trial and the client got 100% of what he had asked for. And it was a really rewarding experience because you have all these different types of claims and different types of situations. So we really have a a very vast majority of um, a lot of large properties now. We have claims ranging from you know, a few hundred thousand all the way up to $60 million. And unfortunately, it doesn't matter whether your claim is $100,000 or $50,000 or whether it's $60 million. Some of the things the insurance companies do and some of the tactics and some of just kind of the script people follow is going to be the same. So once you kind of learn the rules of the game, you just fit the facts into those particular that particular circumstance, and you're able to get to an end result that hopefully is beneficial for your client. So you mentioned um, a, a couple of things that I that I want to dig into in terms of how it's done, right? So you you mentioned that you know as as a core part of the uh, the role that you're playing in supporting these policyholders, you're digging into um, policy language, helping them understand. Um, 
uh, the interpretation of the language and then how that's applicable to potentially um, uh, uh, enabling the, the, the payment of the claim based on what the valuation of that claim is. Now, there's a lot that happens there. And, and as you know, Janina, we, we're a, a podcast that, that focuses on the sort of the, the, the topic of innovation in, in this space. And, and as I think about all of the things that you do, um, I, I, I could see it going one of two ways, right? Something that's very manual or um, in a way that uh, you can enable leveraging um, uh, technology or some sort of a, an innovative capability to, to help along the way. So I'm, I'm wondering, you know, are there um, innovative ways that you are looking at um, either assessing the language and maybe through um, leveraging something like a risk genius or, or other things that you all are doing that, um, that's helping to drive the spirit of um, innovation and transformation through, the, through how you all are supporting the policyholders? Well, I think that it, it's kind of a twofold, that, that question, because we do a lot of investigation. I do a lot of forensic investigation with respect to my clients. So I think that's a, that's a part where the innovation is really coming into play um, as far as the advancements in things. For example, a lot of insurance companies now, they actually hire drones and they have companies that go out and have already taken pictures of your house. So when you make a claim, it it's possible that the insurance company already has an aerial view of your home. And because that technology exists now, they can get the measurements of your roof. You can, they can see prior repairs to your roof. They can see the damage that may have or may not have happened. So if you file a claim and a desk adjuster is able to pull up that information, that desk adjuster would, who would normally assign the claim to an independent adjuster to go out and physically look at the property, they're just going to maybe do it from their drone photographs, which is kind of scary in, in some respect because they have this arsenal of information that you may not know about right now, but they're going to use it to their advantage sometimes, but it's available at their fingertips. That's new. That's something that really in the last five years, it, it's gotten to the point that a lot of companies have that type of underwriting process. Um, it's also interesting because sometimes depending on the rules of the state or the particular information with an underwriting file, you may not even get that information until the judge requires them to produce it. So that that I find to be interesting. And we also use that technology now as well, especially with the larger properties. Um, we'll do the drone photographs of windows and roofs. And we'll also do 3D photography. So when you're going to potentially present the case to a jury, you can actually have a screen and it makes the jury feel like they're walking through the property. So as far as the investigation and documenting the evidence, that has changed, I think, and I think it continues to change and continues to innovate and continues to work its way into the claims and into the courtroom. Yeah, ab absolutely. You know, uh, and, and I think that's, that's uh, key to um, helping to streamline a part of the process, right? So I, I, I would agree that leveraging technologies like drone technology to, to visit the sites, you know, there are um, uh, a lot of benefits that come along with doing that instead of having to send an individual adjuster out potentially on the roof and 
um, which could also endanger that adjuster's lives. But I, I like the fact that um, not only um, are you seeing that, especially in the event of cat claims and, um, and, and you know, um, and windstorm damage and those sorts of things, I'm glad that you're seeing uh, insurance carriers leverage that technology. But it's even, you know, um, I'm, I'm even more surprised that, um, I, that I'm also seeing organizations like yours uh, leverage the same technology capability to help to make um, what you all are doing more or more effective um, in a more streamlined fashion. And, and in the end, the way that I look at that is that it's all being passed back to the customer and it's helping to really drive um, a more um, efficient outcome with that customer, especially as you start to think about things like uh, like like leveraging 3D photography um, to, uh, to 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 really hone in on what the property looks like and those sorts of things. So so re- really excited to see that play out um, in the entire ecosystem around insurance. Now, as as I think about some of the other things that you do, so so as we mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, your focus is on the the the, the coverage analysis and those sorts of things. Do you see? an opportunity um, in your day-to-day work from that regards to um, really innovate other elements of the value chain in terms of the work that you do? As far as the the coverage analysis, and um, I, I think it goes more towards the type of policy that you have. Most insurance policies across the country and some specialized in Florida are going to have the certain forms, the HO homeowners forms or the, you know the CP commercial policy forms. And, and in that regard, a lot of those are standard. They're approved. The Office of Insurance Regulation for whatever governing state is going to have to approve them. I f- have found being creative in looking at those forms is because everything's electronic now, there's a couple of things that you can do with respect to the Office of Insurance Regulation, at least in our state, you, the carriers have to go online and submit the form for approval. I have found by going online and dealing and looking and tracing the forms back that sometimes the forms they submit to be approved aren't actually the forms that they're asking to be approved. So I've had situations by using the electronic data that they now store online to show that the form they tried to submit wasn't what was actually there and they kind of snuck in the language under under everybody's radar. Um, and that, that's become an issue in, in cases as well. So I think that the more that's out there, the more customers and, and people can find out about the actual language of the policy and the procurement of the policy. Um, additionally, now, obviously, with the electronically stored information, a lot of insurance companies use standard estimating software. There's a couple different types across the country. There's Xactimin and SimSol, but Xactimin is, is kind of one of the, the standard ones insurance companies used, and it's kind of like a language that everyone speaks. They can put the information in, and it you know, will we'll spit out a number based on if you're putting in roof tile or flooring. And it'll give you the number for that the square footage, whatever it is you're trying to value. But interestingly, that software will also allow you to track any changes. So for example, when I was on the defense side, I was able to use that software and track and find out that the estimate that the insured at the time was using had actually been created three months before the loss happened. So using that type of technology and to your advantage and knowing how to use it, you could show 
that at that particular time, the insured had contemplated having a loss and had already set things up in place to potentially commit insurance fraud, which ultimately helped the insurance company prevail on that particular issue. Absolutely. You know, and, and to the point that you made, a lot of these technical capabilities, um, it drives it drives out fraud, it weeds out fraud. And to the point that you made, especially as things are um, being done more in the electronic realm and, and being tracked in that manner, um, I, I do believe that it, it makes it it just makes it so much more difficult for um, any activity that's not um, uh, sort of truthful activity to play out in this space. Um, and, and there's a lot of insure techs that are looking to, to drive that particular capability. But, you know, Gina, one of the things that, that I find is that um, as um, there are organizations that are looking to innovate this space and, you know, create technical uh, or technology capabilities to be used by um, insurance organizations, uh, in, as well as those that partner or, or service the industry, um, that there, there might be a limitation um, in the regulation in terms of uh, the regulation catching up to allow for that particular change. So I'm wondering, is that something that, you know, with, with, with your um, deep legal uh, expertise, is, is that something that you've seen over time in terms of regulation not keeping pace with innovation? It, it's kind of interesting. That question's interesting to me because um, Florida has a very unique insurance atmosphere. And sometimes things that happen in Florida will permeate to other states. So I think that there are a lot of people who are creative and they find loopholes in policies and loopholes in language and legal loopholes to their advantage. Um, maybe not really in the technology aspect, but just you know, trying to stay a step ahead of the regulators. So for example, in Florida right now, one of the big issues is the assignment of benefits and whether or not a contractor can take an assignment of benefits on behalf of an insured and ultimately have the insurance proceeds assigned back to them for the work or the claim. And it, according to Florida's insurance industry, the way that these particular individuals were, were doing this type of actions and these assignments has cost Florida's policyholders and Florida's consumers a lot of money. So in the last couple months, the legislature has enacted laws to try to curb that. But it's not necessarily in the technology aspect, but the innovation of people to find these maybe potential loopholes or, you know, people who not everybody operates like that. But unfortunately, there are some bad apples in the group always. And the legislator and the regulators and the Department of Financial Services, it takes them a while to catch up. So I, I do see that as a little bit of a lag when it comes to things and trends that have gone on. You know, I've been in the industry for uh, almost 13 years now, and I've seen trends. I mean, there was people who would go work with the mortgage brokers and, and buy houses and over-insure them and fill them with stuff from Goodwill and burn it down. And the next day, that burned contents would be in the next house and they'd burn that house down. So there's always a new trend, and I don't, I'm not saying the people who are behind these trends are the most, um, you know, first-class citizens or anything, but it, it's interesting in that regard as the innovation that people find to try to stay ahead of the laws and the regulations. 
Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. And you, you do see um, a lot of that play out. Now, do, do you think that, um, you know, as an industry, um, that there could be a more holistic solution to solving for that? Or do, do, do you see that as being something that we're going to wind up seeing play out throughout history just because of the way people are? You know, I, I just wonder what, what your thoughts are there. I think that I think it's twofold. Again, um, and a perfect lawyer answer is it depends, but you see the trends, you see people who get arrested, um, you know, the state tries to really keep up on top of things, uh, unlicensed contracting, unlicensed practice of public adjusting, things like that, and it's changed over time, but what is happening is the response in the industry to that is limiting the coverage available to insureds. So it's really, at the end of the day, it's just hurting any insured who owns property in, in Florida. The policies are becoming more strict. They're becoming more stringent. The exclusions are getting broader. Um, they're in, you know, it's just unfortunately, the coverages that may have been available 10 years ago are no longer the same. They've morphed into some other provision that is limiting. Um, and it really, really, surprises people the limitations on their coverages and that i think is where the insurance company has been innovative because they are able to sense some of the trends get ahead of those trends a little bit and start to enact language that's going to ultimately benefit them and not the consumer yeah a absolutely um and you know just uh, as a part of what i used to uh, do at, at a point in within my career you know so i used to um, be a, a product developer for the insurance industry for, for an organization and, and um, on the commercial side of the house. And what we would do is we would review um, the language that we were applying to the particular policy um, to, to figure out, of course, how do we innovate the language, if there's anything that needs to be due to enhance it, or you know how do we uh, create a way that's going to provide for what we're trying to do um, in terms of the type of coverage, but also at the same time, uh, weed out fraud. You know, so uh, what what I quickly uh, ran into, though, is as we do sort of a, an industry assessment and an industry analysis, um, while there are organizations like ours that were looking to innovate the, the policy, there were tons of organizations out there in the commercial line side of the space uh, of, of the house that uh, still did not update or enhance their core language. Um, some were 10 or 11 years or more. You know, so do, do you think that um, organizations like that, that's not really driving change, especially as new um, uh, you know, ways of potential fraudulent behavior shines through, do you think that they'll be more susceptible to, um, you know, potential fraud within their portfolio? Um, and, and what are your thoughts about ways to um, mitigate that for those particular carriers? Yeah, I, I think that's interesting because based on what you just said in your experience, I, I'm assuming that you understand the importance of a the word and or 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 a comma because it can make all the difference when it comes down to a policy. When we interpret a policy, any ambiguity in a policy is going to be construed against the drafter, which is always going to be, for the most part, the insurance company. So in what I do, I'm lucky that I have a very broad scope of cases where I deal not only with the domestic carriers within the state of Florida, but I also deal with what Florida calls surplus lines. So I have a lot of cases against the London market, the Lloyd's policies. And what's interesting about 
those types of policies is you have many different syndicates, many different participants, and every one may have a different policy language. So you're going to typically have a lead policy, which will outline the general coverages, and then you're going to have maybe the next couple layers of, of syndicates and coverages kind of tweak that a little bit. For example, one of the cases we had, somewhere between, it was in the first 25 million layer of coverage, somewhere in the middle, I think it was between the five and 10 layer, they had an arbitration in Bermuda clause. So if the carrier for the five to 10 million wants to arbitrate in Bermuda, then we're going to have to arbitrate that portion in Bermuda. So it doesn't make sense for the consumer or really for the insurance company to spend that kind of money just because they may not have updated their policy to conform with the rest of the group or whether they just want to be stubborn and, and enforce the provisions of their policy at all costs. Um, but really to answer your question as far as what the language is and in, in innovating it, I, I do see a lot of carriers that lag behind. I see a lot of carriers that I can look at their language and it's the same language I've seen for 13 years. And that's fine because to be honest, I, I prefer that language. It's the new language, the, you know, the interesting things that are coming in that may not have been tested by the courts yet. Um, one of the things we're really seeing right now, especially in the non-domestic market is arbitration provisions where the dispute will have to be arbitrated. And that's something that most policyholders don't even know could potentially be an option. They think they just have the ability to file a lawsuit against their insurance company. That's not always the case. Um, and the courts are, you know, for the most part, going to uphold the arbitration provisions. So they, they will change. And as I said, the carriers have that foresight, I guess, to look ahead and address the policies and the changes in the market, but some don't. It's really, I think there's kind of a dynamic split. The ones that are moving, they move, and the ones that don't, they don't, and and they're just kind of lagging behind and you know getting their premiums. But I also don't know if they want to take that next step because they don't take a lot of effort to to move to that next level. You know, as as I think about um, you know what you mentioned, um, you know, especially as you start to see the the carriers that are ahead, but also those that are lagging behind. I go back to you know something else that I used to do in my history, and that's uh, you know the creation of. Uh, new products, new language, and those sorts of things to, to really try to innovate, uh, provide innovative solutions on the insurance product level to organizations. And and you know one of the things that I often ran into was the 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 fact that as uh, things were being rolled out, trying to get the approval uh, at least for the admitted um, uh, product on the domestic side of the house always tended to be um, a challenge as you started to work across all of the the many uh, different state regulators. Now, you know, there's this concept that's been floating around that's supposed to help to spur innovation, at least internationally in, in fintech, biotech, and a lot of other um, industries. And that's the, the concept of, of a, a regulatory sandbox in which uh, organizations like insurance companies, as well as those that are trying to innovate or in the financial space, you know, banks and other financial services organizations could work directly with regulators um, to try to um, innovate the products that they're developing or um, to help to shift the law to allow more rapid um, implementation 
and uh, uh, deployment of that product and capability so you can test it more quickly in the market. Now, just about a month or so, a month and a half ago or so ago, the, the first insurance regulatory sandbox was written into law in Kentucky. Um, which would now allow organizations to innovate with regulators at the DOIs of, of the uh, within Kentucky. So I'm wondering, you know, um, with you um, again, with, with your legal background and your your history and um, you know understanding conceptually a lot of the product innovation and in insurance, do you see value in a in an innovative concept like leveraging a regulatory sandbox, um, or do you think that structurally the way that the industry is set up, it's it's already set up to enable innovation? You know, what are your thoughts there? I think it depends. I, I think that there's so many groups. You, I mean, you have so many groups that are trying to control the industry. You have, of, of course, you, contractors and, and adjusters and attorneys and insurance companies and boards of directors of businesses, and they're all competing to get the language that they want to get, and they're all competing to get the laws changed that's going to be more favorable to them. So. I, I do think that on some level that would make sense, especially now. I mean, I deal a lot in, in the property, in, in the damages, the you know the first party contractual issues. But I also have had a lot of experience with you know claims that are stock claims or the cyber policies or now the things with the hemp industry. Though you know the marijuana and the hemp industry as well as the cyber industry, those products are just now coming out. I mean, I don't know where they're uh, gonna go eventually, but this, the cyber, for example, I've seen different variations of the policies and you know, they've been claims made or occurrence-based and it, there's not a lot of variety out there right now. So I do think that it makes sense to have that quote-unquote sandbox for these newer concepts that are coming out. and. It's going to continue to come out like that. Um, you know, carriers, I think now are going to have to start taking into account climate change as whether it's a cause of a loss or not, whether someone's business in South Beach had to shut down because there was a flood due to climate change. Maybe you would typically think you'd fall under flood insurance, but maybe there's going to be another product out there for people who are prone to those types of areas or prone to that type of damage. You know, just living down here, um, we had all the discharge from Lake Okeechobee and there was a lot of algae and, and toxins in the water that impacted a lot of people's businesses that were on the waterfront. And the policies may exclude pollution, um, but they may not exclude everything that had happened. And you see that it's kind of just stuck there. Um, it's not... Um, evolving to take into account these new types of issues that we're now facing and these new products. So I do think that makes sense on, on that level to have that type of brainstorming and, and get to a point of something that you, at least there's a base product available for people. And then from there, you know, everyone's going to argue about where the comma is or where the and is, but there's a starting point. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I so I want to go back to one of the things that you mentioned, and, and you're absolutely right, especially as you start to think about um, a new uh, emerging trends like climate change. And, um, you know, cyber has been around for a little while, but you're still now starting to see uh, um, either language shift, uh, you know, to, to address some of the 
more enhanced um, attacks that we've been seeing, but but holistically across the market, um, a lot of the standard carriers have uh, have kept the language itself standard, um, all the way through to um, uh, you know hemp or what we're seeing in the marijuana industry. You know, just in relation to um, uh, it being something, especially as you start to look at medical and even for for personal use, that's been legalized in I think something like twenty some odd states um, from a state perspective across the, the country. But what you re- what you quickly come to realize is that insurance organizations are um, still holding back because of the um, in, because of, you know of, of not having a, a federal guideline around marijuana. So you see no one really jumping in and say, "Hey, let let's do this um, and, and and let us be the folks that are going to innovate the product." While states like California are almost putting up a white flag and saying, you know, uh, having a a. a a plea to the insurance industry to provide this coverage. You know, so from, from your perspective, um, as you start to think about things like climate change, which in some, um, you know, areas are, it's somewhat controversial as well as marijuana. How do you think the industry could respond and provide an innovative product for those types of coverages? I think it's going to depend on having that right carrier out there to take the risk. I think if there's an insurance company and um, investors that are willing to start taking that risk that it, it's going to pay off for them, um, especially like you said out in California with with the marijuana crops and, and the growth in, in conjunction with the wildfires out there. People are going to want to protect their business. They're going to want to protect their their livelihood and, and the state and the states that do have it legally are going to want to protect their the income and the revenue they get from that industry. So I think if there's a lot of, if not a lot of pressure, but if additional pressure is put on insurance the insurance industry that someone's going to step up i i don't know who that's going to be i don't know if it will be a domestic carrier that comes in or if it's going to be one of the you know someone over in the london market that's willing to to pick that up and fill that space because you're right there's a there's a void there right now and i've heard the same thing that there's a hesitation because of the federal regulations that they're not willing to take that jump it's going to happen it's just a matter of when and whether that product is going to be consumer friendly. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to, in all honesty, you know, from my perspective, I truly believe that uh, the organization that's looking to take the risk in this space is probably going to to come out um, a winner, right? You know, especially since uh, it things like marijuana, um, you know, again, using that as the example, it's becoming somewhat more normalized in society, very similar to what happened in the earlier days of when alcohol was, um, outlawed and then, you, you know, during prohibition and then came back right right after that, right? It's now part of uh, a, a normal part of, of what's playing out in society. You know, so Gina, um, you know, as, as I uh, think about, you know, the future of what we're seeing in this industry, there's just been a lot of things playing out in terms of uh, customer experience. There's been uh, a lot of changes on the, the, the property side, uh, you know, as, as you start to think about cata- uh, catastrophic risk and in those sorts of things, you know, as as you look a couple of years down the line, do you think that there are um, technology capabilities or just innovative capabilities in general that's going to continue to help to transform this space? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's going to come a lot in the underwriting and adjustment and investigation of claims, at least from from my perspective, because I live, as I said, in the, in the property damage space. I think that, you know, soon you're going to be able to you can fly the drone over the property and you're going to be able to get all the moisture 
readings to a T. They have that capability to some extent now, but it's not as perfected as I think it needs to be to really help um, pro prove your case on one side or the other. Um, I also think now, you know, issues with even the procurement of the policy, some agents, some insurance companies allow you to apply for your insurance policy online. You never even have to sign it. You never even have to see anybody. And, and that could be an issue as well, given certain provisions and policies that, you know, you're expected to understand, you're expected to read, and someone should at some point explain it to you. So without that personal connection, I think that that loses some aspect of really the, the policy and the coverages and the customer service that is kind of stepping aside. Um, you know, I also think that in just the different types of um, estimating software and the different softwares and the the repair protocols and things like that really they're really far behind right now <laughs> I think I think that there's probably a better way I think there's probably a better way than you know one company you know trying to pull all the market data into a form where you put in a number and it spits it out but that doesn't necessarily reflect what it's going to actually cost so there's a lot of room for improvement in in that regard in my world i see a lot of room for improvement um also you know on on the cyber side there there's concerns that with certain policies if you don't have the right protections in your system and something happens and you're hacked or you're attacked then they may not provide coverage for you so it's important to understand your policy and maybe those technical requirements that they're starting to put in there to make sure that you have the right safeguards in place. So, you know, some, if, unfortunately, if something happens, you're able to recover. If you don't understand that and they're using technology that's far beyond your small business, that can be a problem and that can be a concern. So it is, it's just interesting to kind of see where things are going to go, how, how they evolve. Um, you know, the insurance industry has been around a long time. Some things don't seem to change and some things seem to change really quickly. It's a very, you know, kind of dynamic industry in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, hey, Gina, you know, um, one of the questions that, that I always ask, right, and it's really to help the folks that are listening to you and I speak, um, go back to their desk and, and try to do things beyond the status quo and bring um, innovation or a different way of thinking to their organizations. So, you know, if, uh, if someone, um, you know, wanted to be more transformative in their organizations, what piece of advice would you give them to do just that? I think they have to, you know, I think people have to kind of think outside the box. I, I think that, you know, you need to look at, you know, you look at a standard policy, but you got to look at it in, in different perspectives and see how it can change to help your particular purpose, I guess. For me, you know, I'll, I'll look at a policy on behalf of a, an insured and I'll say, okay, well, you know, this language should be different. I think that this is not what they meant. And you want to go and you want to argue that position, of course, for your insured. If you're on the insurance company side or looking at products for the insurance company, you're going to want to get to the point where the policy is as tight as possible so there's nothing open to interpretation. But the policy is, is going to be words. It's always going to be words. And the punctuation and the grammar is going to change. But when it comes to the actual 
real life everyday kind of insurance claims and, and the underwriting in the background, I think as far as underwriting is concerned to really actually do an underwriting inspection, have those drone photographs or do some type of due diligence. So before you insure a risk, you know what you're insuring. Uh, I don't think that happens as much as it maybe should happen. I think that companies should look at, you know, other alternatives to a standard pricing to actually take into account what it's going to cost to do things. Um, what what I'm seeing a lot of companies doing now, at least on the carrier side, is they will have vendors who audit bills. They, if they, for example, if they get a bill for water extraction and they think it's too high, they send it to a vendor and the vendor audit it, audits it. Sometimes I think they get paid hourly, but sometimes I think they get paid based on the amount of money they save an insurance company. So those type of vendors and those type of companies, I think they've been much more innovative because they've been able to offer a product to the insurance industry that ultimately is saving them money. So as far as, you know, coming up with those different things, you're always going to want to be a step ahead because for insurance companies, they ultimately want to minimize their exposure and minimize their how much they're paying. Where on the other side, we want to maximize how much they're paying. So you're always going to have these two companies kind of butting heads to try to get to a resolution that's best for the consumer. While at the same time, actually still having people buy your insurance because if you get the reputation that you're going to use this software or this program to limit the amount of claim then no one's going to want to buy your product anymore so it's a very interesting balance it's a delicate balance to try to figure out what may be best for the company but also to walk the line that people still want to be insured by you yeah Absolutely. You know, I think that was uh, that's great advice. So, hey, Gina, you know, I, I do want to say thank you. I do truly appreciate having the opportunity to talk to you about your history, what you do, and also your thoughts on uh, this industry and the way that it's innovating and transforming. If someone wanted to continue, continue the discussion and wanted to um, get in contact with you or your organization, what's the best way for them to do that? Probably my email. Um, I don't know if you're able to put it up because it's kind of long, but <laughs> I can of course say it to you. Awesome. What I'll do is um, I'll put that information in the show notes and then uh, folks, you could um, contact Gina there. So, hey, once again, thank you. I do truly appreciate it. This was a great conversation. No, I appreciate it. And just one more thing. We were talking about innovation and it just occurred to me, you would be shocked how many policies I still read that have an exclusion for Y2K. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, absolutely. You know, I see. Uh, it, it's funny that you say that because uh, uh, when uh, back in the day, actually, this was probably still maybe 2015 or so when we would do a competitive analysis. Um, you, you're absolutely right. That's still spot on. And, and it's four years later and it's still there. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Insurance Innovators Unscripted Podcast. If this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're using so you can get new episodes every month. Now, don't forget to also share this on your social media platforms on LinkedIn if you're getting value out of the podcast so other colleagues can also get value from it too. So once again, I truly appreciate having you as a listener. So thanks for listening and I hope to see you next week.